0: Welcome to the next episode. In this episode, we interview Mahesh Balasubramanian, the managing director and CEO of Kotak Life Insurance in India. Mahesh started his career as an exports executive at Godridge and Boyce Manufacturing Company. He then became a regional manager before he decided to step away a little bit to work on his own project. Between 2000 and 2005, Mahesh co-founded Apna Loan, a passion project of his. He then decided to step back into the private sector with the position as a senior executive vice president at Kotak Mahindra Bank. His tenure in Kotak Mahindra Bank has lasted for 17 years. He is a veteran in the financial services industry with his professional experience spanning across retail assets, retail liabilities and insurance. Karthik and I found Mahesh's profile very interesting for our interview. We had had questions that would benefit employees, managers, organizations, and entrepreneurs, and Mahesh has done it all. In this interview, Mahesh talks about his career, his venture, what it took to fail and fail fast, and how he learned to keep up with the ever-changing market. I mean, his career started in 1992, and a lot has changed since then. Karthik and I were fascinated with the way he spoke about his venture, Apna Loan, and the lessons he learned from working on his own project. He talks about how the first step to innovation is to creatively destroy what you think you know. This was a wonderful interview, and I hope you guys enjoy it as much as we did. So uh, that was a, uh, an amazing career that you've had, Mr. Mahesh. Uh, I welcome you to the EITF project. Uh, and I think a lot of us will learn a lot from you with the questions that we asked today. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking to you. And uh, I guess uh, with that, let's begin.
1: Sure. Looking forward to
2: it as well. Awesome. Uh, it's a pleasure having you join us. To get things started, what was your first job? And what was your learning from the first job that you still carry on with you till date? Oh,
1: very interesting. Uh, My first job was actually, uh, I'm not a finance professional. First of all, let me clarify. No, I did my engineering, mechanical engineering, and then my master's in management. Uh, Actually, while management is a general course, I uh, uh, probably never envisaged that I'll end up in the financial services industry. I took marketing as one of my majors. And I was very passionate about engineering coming from a family of engineers. My father was an engineer and I had a lot of passion for automobile engineering and mechanical engineering. So when I finished my uh, master's, I think I got a campus job. I was very clear, I'll do something with my engineering. I was uh, very uncomfortable to even think of a career outside my basic engineering degree. You know. So then the campus placement I got placed on the first day with a company called Godrej & uh, one of the India's oldest manufacturing companies. So uh, Godrej and boys had a variety of products. They also were dealing in consumer durables. But I chose a slightly more engineering-oriented product, which was basically a material handling equipment, a forklift trucks to be precise. So uh, I was part of the uh, forklift truck division. So the first six months, one year was spent completely in understanding the product and uh, figuring out how corporates work. And then another uh, year I worked there. The biggest learning I had there was that, look here, you never know what you want in life. Right? So... At the end of two years of Godrej and Boys, I realized that probably while I'm, uh, I like manufacturing, I like engineering, I was somewhere getting to be clear that, look here, I don't think I want to spend my rest of my life in a manufacturing-oriented organization because I could see the service industry moving in a very different trajectory. And uh, then by providence or by sheer coincidence, I landed up in the financial services industry. Uh, and there, uh, the, it happened by chance. I was a little bit worried whether I will be able to do the transition. Then I had a roommate of mine, a very close friend of mine, uh, who's my, what you call in India, chadi buddy, right? And that guy was in financial services. So he made a very poignant statement to me. He said, yeah, if I can do it, so can you? Don't you think so? I said, that's a very valid comment. You know, If you can do it, so can I. <laughs> so that was a simple inspiration of getting into financial services. Though at the back of my mind, I do did believe that financial services in India will go into a very upward trajectory. So the lesson is two things. You never know what you want, right? So uh, so don't worry about not knowing what to do. As uh, Steve Jobs famously said, the dots will connect on its own at some point of time in life.
0: That's, uh, that's interesting that you made the transition from engineering to management. Um, that kind of leads me into my next question. What was the most significant turning point you had in your career journey? The
1: turning points, I would say, are a couple of things. One is definitely the financial services shift. Something helped me realize that the industry is going to grow. And I think... Uh, working in a growing industry always helps in growing faster. The second turning point was my own venture, Apna Loan. I think uh, it was a very big turning point in my life because obviously I took the uh, plunge at a time which was uh, not really normally done by people. I took the plunge between my engagement and my marriage. Actually, no. Right. That was something that I believe was I did it out of sheer passion for the business model that I was pursuing. I think that change from being a executive to an entrepreneur I think uh, changed a lot in my life. You've been in startups. I normally say one quarter in a startup is equal to a year. So I did uh, a five years of startup, which is accumulating 20 years of invaluable experience of running your own company. I think uh, that was a great turning point because the uh, the confidence that i gained from that experience was uh, unbelievable uh, I,
0: I that's that's very interesting actually because i gained a lot of the confidence in my field as well because i worked in a startup uh, you know i did a lot of things and i feel like um, you know i learned quite a bit and from the best people in the industry
2: you talk about creating apna loan and then all the transition and you talk about a quarter equal to a year so when you start pivoting this fast, uh, where you're forced to pivot this fast, I'm sure there's a process of unlearning as well. What's that one thing uh, that you would like to share that you had to unlearn uh, to
1: quickly start relearning, uh, to stay relevant in this whole journey? Well, uh, I think the most important thing is uh, the business model that we had envisaged. I think a couple of things, we got it right. A couple of things, we were way ahead of time. Because I'm talking about 2000. Just when the dot-com bust had happened in the US, right? Uh, These days, it's called digital. In those days, it was called dot-com. So uh, the biggest learning for us is to adapt to things that were not happening because we had committed ourselves to creating a kind of a business model. We were loan aggregators. So the most important lesson we learned is fail fast. It's very important in a startup environment to keep iterating. Uh, And in an environment like India, which has got its own unique dimensions and its own unique way of functioning, it's not such an organized and developed market like what you guys see it here. So the ability to iterate on multiple things, the ability to keep experimenting, to keep trying, uh, be humble and uh, fail fast.
0: Uh, I want to shift this conversation questions that, uh, you know, employees that are working today can, uh, you know, use uh, the answers to. Um, so for someone who is trying to enter uh, the industry and is hoping to have a similar career path as you did, what is one piece of advice you would give
1: them and why? Also, be curious all your life. For me, curiosity and wanting to learn and wanting to go there and find out why it's working or not working is very important. Asking the right questions at various points of time, whether it's your own career, whether it's a business model, whether it's a problem with you at work, right? At least I can share that from my personal experience. What is
2: your one advice? What would you tell current generation when they want to bring up ideas in a group or in a room full of experienced people?
1: I think two pieces of advice I would say. You need to listen to understand the issues. Uh, A a good understanding of the issues requires patient listening as to to comprehend the problem and understand what's being discussed and why what's being discussed, right? Number two, I think uh, be articulate in what you want to say and be confident in what you want to say. I think articulating your views very clearly, feeling confident about it, right? But I would only say do your homework adequately. But I would say uh, have depth in what you do. And uh, speak, be a little bit fearless in speaking out your mind. When, when you're looking to hire someone today, what do you look for in an individual
0: apart from the job qualifications?
1: So I've always been a greenfield guy for almost uh, uh, my entire career, except for this current assignment at Kodak Life, where I'm running an established company. So the reason I'm saying this is that uh, I've learned a lot from interviews. Okay, Interviewing people has been a very, very time-proven and uh, uh, extremely successfully of learning a business, right? Because if I'm recruiting for a position, I invariably interview people from competition. And you learn a lot about what they're doing, right? (laughs) Their tactics, their strategies, their approach to the business, the changes that they've been making. So let me say that I have learned a lot about every business that I run, right? Through interviews. So even today, I really prepare myself to take an interview. I go through the resume and find out what is it that I want to know about this company? apart from knowing about this individual and this job, uh, because I'm consistently learning. Suppose I'm recruiting somebody from another insurance company, right? I would like to be on top of what they are doing because you get grassroots level information or strategic information. I wouldn't say strategic, I would, their approach to the business, right? Because when you talk to senior people, they talk about their approach. What has worked for them, what has not worked for them. So so that's number one. So I more often learn more than (laughs) in interviews, right? Having said that, what do you look for in candidates? I think uh, personally, I do look for, first of all, the attitude the person brings to the job. I'm assuming that some of the skill sets are already there. That's why the person has been shortlisted. I look at the problems he solved, the way he thinks, the way he deals with people, right? Because you are recruiting a person who needs to come in and add value to your organization. At the same time, we need to add value to the individual as well so that there is a a, a quid pro quo of the person coming in and growing in your organization, right? The way the person thinks. I look for the way he interacts with people. uh, How does he approach a particular situation, right? Apart from, of course, checking on the basic skill sets that he brings, you know, uh, in terms of uh, the job knowledge that he needs to have. His ability to even cope up in an environment which can be a little bit disruptive. And how much of uh, uh, unknown territory he is comfortable with. Because all of us today, uh, you guys must be knowing the theoretical concept of living in a VUCA world, right? More and more (laughs) things are getting complex and ambiguous, right? So when you're recruiting people, are they comfortable with that level of little bit of ambiguity and complexity because today uh, the world is uh, full of that and uh, if you can't adjust to the new paradigm then I think you'll be left behind.
2: Yeah I think I can relate to this because uh, when I've sat with seniors doing interviews or when I do interviews but when I asked my first manager what made him choose me he goes yeah I just look into a person and see if he has the passion and if he has the fire to learn stuff, uh, even from ambiguous situations. And the skill part can come later. He can learn it on the job, provided he has the right skill set, uh, attitude, and the right mindset to pick up stuff. Up. A common thing that you hear. Uh, of late is work-life balance and okay. so in your opinion when you are thrown into an uncertain situation or a completely new role that's going to take you time to uh, where there's a steep learning curve how do you balance work and life and 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 and, and, and make it a point that one is not costing the other.
0: I'd like to add to this a little bit. You mentioned that you made the transition to move to a startup environment exactly when you were moving into married life, right? Um, you know, that that is also an interesting point to draw from here. Um, how did you maintain that work-life balance um, especially when you were moving into such a new space that was going to demand a lot of
1: your time? So first and foremost, uh, uh, let me say that I a little bit struggle with this word called work-life balance. You know? Because I believe if you enjoy doing what you do, things will fall in place. right? Luckily, you need to have a support system which helps you. Let me say that. So I was blessed to have that support system of my family, who probably allowed me to indulge in my passions. So for me, work-life balance has never been a challenge because I've never looked at it as two uh, segregated things, right? Similarly, I'm I'm running or I'm watching a game and I want to spend that extra half an hour. I'll probably do that, you know, right? Uh, as long as I know what's coming up, uh, so it's a question of scheduling. It's a question of uh, making sure that you understand the priorities, right? Uh, uh, I've never been tested for work-life balance. Of course, you should ask my wife how she feels. So I'm saying this without her, uh, but yeah, she's been around with me for 22 years. So I guess. I would have got more things right than wrong, I presume. Maybe we should talk to her as well. (laughs) Yeah. But guys, the answer is enjoy what you do. I have thoroughly enjoyed my career. I've been through lots of ups and downs. That's why I said it's a journey to be enjoyed, right?
0: Speaking of that, uh, loving what you do and not making a distinction between your work-life balance. Today, everybody considers work as a nine-to-five job and it's... You know, your eight hour workday. So I believe at least that I uh, the work that you do towards your career outside of your eight hour workday is just as important as the work that you do within your nine to five job. For someone who's looking to sow the seeds of that extraneous work, where where should they start and what should they focus on? And how should they begin that learning?
1: I've been a I started running at the age of forty four. Forty five, I started running. And I've done half marathons after that, you know, right. So, so I I took the sport pretty late because I was an avid sportsman in school and college, but somehow lost it in the melee of uh, acting busy or trying to be busy. At 45, 46, I realized that, look here, I think uh, uh, this is something I uh, want to do because I saw a lot of my colleagues doing, a lot of people doing it. And I thought maybe I should give it a try. And honestly, that's helped my work a lot, right? Because it's taught me when you start training at 45, 46 to start running and then you do half marathons, it tests you physically, it tests your endurance, but it also helps you. uh, uh, It's helped me a lot in terms of being patient, waiting for things to happen. When I run, I don't listen to music. I don't do anything. It's like a meditation for me, right? So that has helped my work because it sorts out a lot of things in my mind. It brings in a different kind of energy. It brings in, uh, again, a a kind of ability to take small challenges and keep winning them, you know? It keeps you sprightly and keeps you energetic, right? So uh, so I can't segregate nine to five. I think what we all need to do is invest in ourselves as much as we look at adding value to our organizations, you know, right? So when you say work-life balance, I would say tilt it this way. It's not about work-life balance. It's about how much you're able to invest in yourself and how much you're able to invest in your job, right? So finally, the job and you are two separate things, right? So it's a question of how do you get the, how do you invest in yourself as a person so that you're able to progress in your job and progress in your life?
2: Yeah, I think I can relate to that uh, because I picked up tennis way later. Like, okay, I'm talking like as said, I'm 60 years old, but I'm 29 and I picked up tennis when I was 27 and I've, I've started investing. And the game of tennis has taught me a lot in terms of focus and stuff that I'm able to bring it back into my work. And it helps me understand who I am as a person. I know Nandini is into swimming and that gives her the concentration. I wanted to touch upon another dimension, uh, management. I asked this question myself. A lot of people come and ask me this question in terms of, hey, I'm an individual contributor. I know you at one point in your career where
1: an individual contributor as well. How does that transition look into management? Individual contributions are required at all levels, first of all. The impact that your contribution has or your thought process has keeps changing. Whether it is impacted, a narrow impact, or a broader impact is what varies in life, right? Because as you transcend from individual roles to manager roles and leadership roles, I think you're moving from execution to implementing systems and processes, to setting systems and processes, then to setting the strategy and the scope of the organization, right? That's how you make the pyramid, right? So therefore, I think the ability to move the thought process from doing to understanding why you're doing, how you're doing it. So what's a leadership? So today as a CEO, what is your job? My job is to look at a macro to see uh, what are we doing? How are the world changing around me? How do we think we need to respond to the changing world? What are our USPs as an organization today? How do we really bring in our differentiation into the market as we progress, right? So it's all about strategy, it's all about structure, it's all about scope of the organization, it's all about the environment and how do we relate to the environment and how do we execute, right? But as you go from the bottom of the pyramid to the top of the pyramid, I think the difference is in terms of understanding your role. If as a worker, you're able to already start thinking systems and processes, how do we execute them better rather than only looking at how many gloves I did, right? Your mind already thinking. can I do this better? Can I do that better? Can I get more production out of this unit by changing a small process, right? Then you're actually moving into a slightly higher realm of defining processes or executing processes or finding flaws in the process. Then you go to the next level of questioning the process itself. And then you go to the level of asking, why am I doing, what am I doing, why am I in the business of gloves, right? So I think the thought process, if you keep your thought process ahead of what you're doing in terms of moving to the next level, in terms of thinking, right? And it doesn't have to be all logical and all step-by-step, right? Why is today 21-year-old successful entrepreneurs? Why are there... So many successful entrepreneurs today who are all barely in their 20s or 30s, but they have gone to the structure and strategy right up front. they started thinking a new lateral business model, right? So it's a question of how do you think, right? The transition is not something you go through experience. You can't say I spent five years in this role. Now I become a senior manager. I spent five years. I became a manager. No, it's about who's got the intellectual capability to think. Who's got the ability to define what he's thinking well. How is he able to impact people around him? in terms of articulating that thought process and getting other people to do. I think these are the skill sets which are required. So it doesn't have to be a lateral linear progression, right? Uh, the more we think of it as linear progression, the more we will be curtailed. So start thinking uh, systems, processes, start defining strategies, start looking at structure.
0: Yeah, I agree. Actually in my organization, you know, I've always said I don't want to raise my hands and say that I want to be a manager now. Uh, one one thing that I definitely struggled with when moving from an IC to a manager was delegation and the art of delegation because I was so used to doing everything. And, uh, you know, I never really spent the time or invested the time in training as a startup environment. Like, you know, you're moving in such a fast-paced place that you don't really spend the time you know, trying to train the people who are coming after you. You know, I think as a manager, communication is also very important. You know, you communicate between the different teams to get the project moving forward. I feel like when a project becomes a success, as a manager, you know, the the credit goes to the team. But when when a project fails in one way or another, a manager has to take that uh, that blame. That's that's the shift from being an IC to a manager. I mean, speaking yeah. of investing in your uh in your team members you know as a manager it is a complex relationship between managing up and managing down um you know so we all have people that we answer to we all have people that we want to work with as well how do you manage that complex uh, complex relationship between the expectations of the organization versus the expectations of the employee
1: that's trying to improve themselves okay see uh, you're like a layer a layer has to be two things one is it has to be semi semi-permissible. It has to be semi-permissible because it can't be porous to start with and it can't be a wall, right? It has to be semi-permissible and you decide what is percolated down and what is kept at level, right? Because there will be tremendous pressures coming your way, right? Some of it you may want to pass it on, some of it you may want to insulate them, right? For instance, when I was an entrepreneur, we were going to the brink every six months because of raising capital and sometimes we were not whether we'll pay our salaries, right? But yeah, that cannot be permissible permi- uh, right to the last person in the organization. So that you soak in that pressure and say, okay, I'm not going to let this affect the team below, right? But there are certain things in terms of execution, in terms of the urgency to do things, in terms of the uh, uh, the ex- sudden shift the organization needs to make, the pivot that you spoke about, right? So those things, you need to make sure that it percolates very quickly. So it's a question of being that layer where you, over a period of time, develop that uh, tact and develop that Uh, uh, what do you call intuitive sense of what do I pass through and what do I really insulate my team? So I think it's a two-way process, but yeah, you got to uh, be a little bit uh, uh, intuitive and tactful and understanding what needs to go through and what needs to be shielded.
2: Currently, you uh, hear a lot of the great resignation uh, uh, in the news and I'm sure you've heard it and you guys talk about it. What are the primary motivations uh, that make an employee stay back in an organization? And what are some reasons or in your opinion, what makes someone leave a particular organization?
1: Well, I think we are going through a a serious transition, if we put it this way. I don't think any of us have found the answers because if you have found the answers, the great resignation would probably uh, uh, would not be as large as it is. So we need to be Uh, uh, First of all, cognizant the fact that I don't think we have all the answers because the pandemic has really, really changed the way people relate to uh, in terms of their day, their their job, their families, uh, what is uh, important for them, what is unimportant for them, what are their choices that they want to make in life. I think the pandemic has really redefined many of these things, right? So, uh, So it's still a process which all of us are trying to figure out and we hope that this year will be better than last year, let me say that, right? But what are the probable things which uh, we feel are happening in the environment? I think, uh, uh, first of all, people are today redefining what they want from their workplace. So uh, they believe they have a family life. They believe their needs and wants are very different from what it was before the pandemic and what it is after the pandemic. For instance, many people today do not like the idea of traveling two hours to a workplace. One and a half two hours to a workplace because they feel it's a sheer waste of my time. Right? So today, we have a lot of people who are saying, look here, uh, uh, are you going to allow us to work from home? But today, employees are attaching a lot of value because they realize it's it's an absolute waste of their time. Mm-hmm. Commuting one and a half to us, especially in large megapolis that we all live in, it's a sheer waste of time, right? So that is something that you need to understand. Look here, does this role really require these guys to come every day, right? Does his role really uh, uh, demand them to be here or can we be more flexible about it, number one? Number two, I think people are also increasingly wanting to understand uh, what am i doing why am i doing right because today the choices are so large so obviously there is also a huge demand getting created and uh, uh, new job profiles have got created and this is happening globally as well right even in the even in india i think the job market has opened up dramatically for certain sectors especially it and uh, 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 the digital etc etc more than ever before right so i think the most important thing is to Uh, connect with your employees and why they're doing what they're doing. And what is it that you as an organization are trying to create and make them identify with your business, identify with what you're doing. The current generation is all about experiences, right? People are not worried about stability. That's why today you have all the business models, which have succeeded, which one never thought would succeed. Right? Nobody wants to buy a house today. Nobody wants to uh, go and take in a stay in a hotel. I may stay in Airbnb with somebody else, right? Nobody wants to use vehicles. I may use, use use Uber or for my this thing rather than nobody wants to cook they say I'll I have better off ordering because I can eat whatever I want on any day of the week that I want and how dynamic is your ability to keep providing them different experiences different environments and keep it a little bit more uh, uh, as I said evolving for them because they get bored very easily right I've heard people who are leaving my company who say I just want to go and experiment something else different I said you've been happy here right we've had a good chat with you and you're doing so well here. That's something which I would have, we would have never thought of about 10 years back. right? And the guy is really happy. You know, He's really happy. I mean, I'm really enjoying my job and really have a good time here. And I'm progressing. But hey, I still want to go and experience something else. So I think that's the paradigm shift which has happened. Uh, and as organizations, we need to respect this, understand this. And I don't think this is a, a, a reversible process now. Some of it has already become irreversible. So we need to make ourselves more younger. We need to make ourselves more appeal to the newer generation. We need to be flexible, we need to be agile, we need to be providing them uh, uh, different experiences. We need to uh, uh, make sure that uh, uh, their needs and wants are, are taken care of as much as what you as a company would want to. I, I agree. Uh, and I
0: think there is also another uh, dimension to this where there are employees who, who want to stay as well uh, long enough in a specific organization, especially because the organization keeps things interesting for them.
2: Yeah, because once my dad told me he was like, take a notebook every day, write a new thing you learned on job that day, and make a note and uh, make it a habit. The moment you're not able to write what you learned that day or what new thing you learned, then that's an indication that maybe you're uh, on for a new stint at some other place.
0: So uh, I guess my next question is, um, for for I mean today, like you mentioned, a lot of things are changing in the, you know, job space. Um, And for an org, I mean, it's a two part question for an organization that wants to stay relevant with the digitization that's happening in the industry, as well as for an employee that wants to stay relevant, what are things that
1: they should focus on? I think first and foremost, people are getting increasingly aware of what digital can do to a business in terms of both the positives and the disruption that can happen. I think today awareness is at a very high level. I can't think of too many organizations who probably are cocooned and say, hey, I don't know what's coming. I think the more important thing where organizations struggle is the ability to metamorphize and go through this change. You know, right, The executional challenges, the real drill of changing the mindsets, changing the uh, ship, the larger the ship, the more time it takes to take a turn. And organizations who are, especially large organizations, startups, of course, do not have this baggage. They're able to Uh, do this uh, much more faster. So how do you really build up a startup element in your established organization is the biggest challenge. How do you start thinking like a startup? How do you start operating like a startup? How do you uh, 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 take from idea to execution? How do you shorten the cycles? How are you failing fast? How are you able to iterate quickly? I think this is what all large organizations want today. They want part of their self to be very entrepreneurial and very, very startup-like as far as some of these things go. For the individuals, it's again the same thing. I know it's happening around me, right? Am I a frog in the uh, pan which is getting heated slowly? So I think the problem as individuals we're also facing is ability to quickly learn and unlearn and go through this transition, right? And the winners and losers will be defined by how companies and individuals are able to make this transition.
2: When you are at the helm of an organization, right? And you're constantly trying to innovate and striving for innovation because your customer base keeps changing. How, How do you factor in risks and come with mitigation plans and you're constantly innovating. So what questions does one ask to be like, okay, what is it that I need to do to stay ahead of the curve? Because there's yeah. so much of competition around me, yeah. but uh, I also cannot take a deeper plunge because then I wouldn't have a risk mitigation plan that could help me if, Things where to go down south.
1: Okay, a couple of things here. I think first and foremost, organizations uh, uh, have a problem in loss aversion. I've built something, it is doing so well. So, why do I need to change? So, and how, why should I change quickly? I think that is the biggest problem organizations face. Awareness is there, the digital is coming, but you still are holding on to what you think because you believe letting go of that is going to be even more painful, right? So, the balance between holding on to what you have and quickly, quickly letting go and letting new things, ideas come up is basically the challenge right so the risk mitigation strategies also is that what you're doing well so far while you're questioning it while uh, you're doing creative destruction of what you're doing to a large extent your execution on the old world keeps has to keep improving because for established organizations like us that's where the money is going to come from to invest in the new world so therefore you cannot lose sight of it you need to be absolutely improving your execution skills productivity gains need to come use digital to Improve the productivity to reduce the costs and get in the efficiencies going. At the same time, concurrently keep investing in new projects, new ideas, creatively destroy what you're doing, right? But that destruction will take some time before it hits a critical mass. So good eye on both. And that's what this management job is to make sure that they're able to look at both the sides and make sure the efficiencies from A are plugged into doing B.
2: Shifting gears and just picking your entrepreneurial brain uh and everyone wants to be their own boss and one of the common reasons you ask a person why do you want to start your own company yeah I want to be my own boss I don't want to work for someone etc etc is a common thing you hear across the board so when someone is wanting to start their own career or journey in the entrepreneur space uh, what are some words of encouragement uh, you would like to give and what are some words of
1: caution that you would want to give as well because i think the first and foremost is how passionate you are about your idea i think entrepreneurship is all about that particular idea how much it as abdul kalam said mm-hmm. uh, dream is something which should keep you awake in the night right so i'm saying how passionate and how absorbed are you about the business model that should be the main driver Not, I want to be my own boss. I want to chuck my job and do something because I don't like my boss. Those obviously can't be the drivers, right? The driver is am I really passionate about this particular idea? Do I believe this idea has a space in the market? And am I trying to fill a void which is there? Am I adding value to a certain industry or a certain segment, right? I think that should be the core reason why you become an entrepreneur, right? The others may be fringe benefits which come along with being an entrepreneur, right? But you my can't products. get up and say, I, "I hate my boss, therefore I'm going to become a entrepreneur. <laughs> right? It doesn't work like that. Right? It's like saying, "My current girlfriend is me. I'm going to go and uh, propose to the next one who's coming along." Right? It doesn't work like that. Right? You can't do things on rebound. Right? So I think it's very important. Those could be the triggers. Right? But ultimately, the idea and the passion is what is important. Right? And uh, the thing to watch out for is uh, you can't be too foolish about that idea. If it doesn't work, you have to have the humility to say it doesn't work. Let me redraw the idea or give it up and do something else, right? Ability to pull back because sometimes you get over obsessive and over this thing about the idea and you really feel that uh, it's not working, but you're still not willing to admit it and you keep going at it, even though it's well past its expiry date, right? So I think it's all about uh, uh, the passion and the idea and making sure that the idea stays relevant as you execute it.
0: Mahesh, how would you define success? This is the one question that we're trying to answer through this project. So how would you define
1: success? Uh, At a personal level, I think it's something that uh, uh, each one has to define for himself. Right? I would say success is all about uh, you feeling happy about what you've done. Right? So as I said, it's a journey. It's not a milestone. So, and it keeps changing, ever evolving. Right? Success is feeling, being comfortable in your shoes, feeling happy about what you're doing today and hoping that you will feel happy about what you'll do tomorrow. It can mean different things for different people. There is no one unique definition right, of success. Uh, for a musician, it can be composing something, continuously composing something new, which keeps him happy. Uh, for a CEO, it can be chasing bottom line and delivering spectacular results quarter after quarter. For a mother, it can be seeing his young child, her young child grow into a fine human being. So I think uh, it's very difficult to uh, put success in a particular framework and say, because one size doesn't fit all approach. Right? It doesn't fit. So you got to discover what each of us have to connect with ourselves and understand what we want out of this one life of ours. And as long as we are getting what we want, right. That can keep changing. I think that's what success is. Yeah.
0: Very well said.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: So I want to thank you for, uh, coming and joining our project and talking to our professional community that we're going to reach out to here. So uh, it's been great. Actually, I learned a lot from what you just said. And uh, you know, I can relate to a lot, lot of things that you just said. I wouldn't have when I was in my student life, but uh, now I can relate quite a bit. So thank you so, so much. Stay, for... stay
1: hungry. Stay hungry. Don't afraid to be foolish and stay happy. Yeah. Awesome.
2: <laughs> Takeaways. All right. All right, guys. Take
1: care. Bye-bye. See you.